0: welcome to trailblazing with corbett price where we present new and fresh perspectives that challenge how you approach change to solve some of the biggest challenges faced by business and government leaders today here's our host andy corbett to introduce the fifth episode in our series on organizational health
1: hello everyone i'm andy corbett the managing director of corbett price And I just want to thank you very much for joining us once again for our podcast series on organizational health and the seven dimensions of wellness. If you remember in our previous episodes, we had the privilege of speaking with trailblazers in various aspects of organizational health. This included organizational operating environments, agility, and resiliency. We spoke about the sort of financial and performance health of the organization as well as employee engagement as well. And so today we're going to delve into the fifth dimension of organizational health, which is the relational dimension, focusing specifically on workplace culture. If you remember in our last episode, we spoke with Roger, who, uh, who was an excellent guest, had lots of things to say, and he had some really, really valuable insights on applying design thinking approaches to enhance the employee experience, really highlighting the common pitfalls organizations often encounter when implementing those kinds of practices. And I guess one crucial factor that significantly impacts the employee experience is an organization's culture. Uh, In fact, Bamboo HR defines company culture as the personality of an organization consisting of shared workplace beliefs values, attitudes, standards, purposes, and behaviors. And the importance of culture cannot be overstated. According to Gallup's research, when employees feel a strong connection to their organization's culture, they are 3.7 times more likely to be engaged at work. They're also 5.2 times more likely to recommend their organization as a great place to work and 68% less likely to experience burnout from work frequently or always. The significance of fostering a people-centric culture is echoed in LinkedIn's recent Workplace Learning Report where it was found that 83% of organizations aspire to build a culture that puts people at the center. This people-centric culture recognises that the success of an organisation depends on the success of its employees. So regardless of an employee's location, how can organisations shift their mindset and establish a strong culture that resonates with their workforce? Well, here to help us discuss this further is Cherie Canning. Cherie has almost two decades of leading and developing leaders at Luminate Leadership and previously at Flight Center Travel Group. Cherie is a passionate optimist, and with her team at Luminate, they aim to bring this positivity to create a lasting impact on organizations by designing and delivering extraordinary learning experiences. Cherie founded Luminate Leadership in 2020 with one purpose, to grow and inspire today's leaders to create a better tomorrow. She intends to embrace human-based leadership traits such as connection, collaboration, courage, empathy, compassion and kindness and share these skills with as many leaders as possible, inspiring them to be the best humans they can be and bringing as much joy and fulfillment to their work and lives. So, Sheree, thank you very much for joining us today on this podcast.
0: Thanks, Andy. Great to be here with you. Appreciate it
1: excellent good good all right so i'll start with the um a question i've been really wanting to ask uh i i asked this to a lot of people because it's just such an important area in organizational health In, in the past people strategy and business strategy were developed in silos and unintegrated throughout the senior leadership team of an organization and so as these strategies converge Companies are now focusing on becoming people centric to optimize the employee experience throughout their organizational life cycle. So the question I've got for you, Cherie, is how do you define a people centric culture and what attributes must leaders practice to help achieve this?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, I feel, you know, any human in our organizations are contributing to outcomes, so It's very pleasing to me to hear so many people are wanting to move to being more people centric. I think from a definition perspective, a people centric organisation or culture is one where the organisation has their people at its heart. And when we say people, I think it's important to see um, it's the people that it serves, so its customers or its clients or its end user, as well as the people in their team. So their employees as well at every level. So from there being at the heart of the organisation, then the business decisions and the strategies and whatever else needs to come with the outcomes and goals, whether regardless of the kind of organisation that the people are at the centre, because ultimately the headspace they're in, the environment that they're working within is going to influence the outcomes and the outputs from each of those. And ultimately then the organisational outcomes. So yeah, what are your thoughts on that one?
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, you know, I, I guess some of the challenges that I've experienced in the past is this definition of people and whether, you know, it's, it's employees, or is it is it employees? Is it contractors? Is it the, the suppliers that are working as part of the organisation? Is it, you know, um, any consultants that are sort of working with the people in the organisation? Ha- do you would you say is there's quite a broad definition to to the people? And, and does it? Does it matter as to you know whether that just needs to be employees? Should they be treated differently to contractors or consultants? What what are your, what's your perspective on that?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, that's a great question. Um, even within our own business at Luminate, we're a small team, but we have con and we have contractors as well. And I think considering both as, as your team, I I suppose, as far as, um, employee value propositions and what's included in their work, that may look different when you've got people in as contractors versus full time or part time employees. Uh, but as far as the environment that they work within and the culture that they work within, I think it's relevant for both. I, I remember, um something that really stuck with me at my time at Flight Centre actually is they had 10 philosophies or you know cultural values really. And previously they've changed a little these days, but they were previously numbered. And number one was our people, number two was our customer and number three was our profit. And the whole saying was one plus two equals three. I mean, it's pretty simple math, uh, but it was all around. When we look after our people, they look after our customer. And when we look after our customer, that's when our profits are looked after so it was really very very simple but that was in my i guess leadership upbringing where how we create an environment and what we do for our people will absolutely then project onto the experience the customer has and without our customers we don't have businesses or organizations so yeah the two very much go hand in hand so for me that that culture I think if we talk about, well, how do leaders create it? Um, mm. I really believe that begins with creating an environment within the business or the organization of psychological safety. And mm. and that's where I think from it, well, how do we create it? That's where the psychological safety is is the starting point.
1: And, and how do you create a psychological safety?
0: Yeah, big question too, because um, it's probably something people throw around a lot at the moment. You're like, well, what is this? Um, I think another, if you start with definitions, when you break down like the four stages of psychological safety or four elements, um, there's four. So there's the inclusion safety, which is really when people go, well, I am worthy, I belong. It's safe to be here. So from a practical sense, I think that's when it's about diversity, inclusion. Um, and also, it's actually about just helping people understand their strengths, like on a practical level, you know, when people do personality profiling or thinking preferences and just understanding who they are and how they contribute. Um, the second is learner safety. So in that case, it's, uh, you know, I'm growing. It's safe for me to be a learner, to ask questions and show up and not have all the answers. So that's that vulnerability and to be able to put your hand up and ask for help and assistance without the fear of that retribution. Um, and the growth, I think again, like just encouraging a growth mindset and encouraging people to share their failures, if you like, or to share where things haven't worked out without the fear. Um, and then the last two, contribution safety and challenge safety. So contribution safety is I'm making a difference somewhere. It's safe to contribute my ideas, my hopes and dreams. So I think this is where team contribution and and potentially with a hybrid working or, um, you know, all remote learning is where if we don't give enough opportunity for people to contribute and have meaningful contributions to their team and purpose, it can be a bit of a risk. Um, But we might be touching on that a bit later, I think, and um, and challenge safety. This one's about it's safe for me to challenge the status quo and fix what's not working. I think this can be on such a small level to a large level. leading toward toxic workplace culture so the small things could just be enhancing the customer experience but then um you know small little tweaks here and there or the employee experience and then i think you can look at those examples of oh there's just a handful of of big stories where you know staff i think there's a it's a nasa story and now i probably don't even get i'm not getting my stories right here but where people knew that something um Was going to be faulty, and there was not enough trust or space for people to put their hand up and say, "I don't think this is going to work," with dire consequences. So I think it can be something minor in your workplace to literally putting people's lives at risk.
1: Yeah, excellent. Excellent. And and you you touch on—you mentioned that a a toxic work culture. So I just want to talk about that for a second. Yeah. I mean, they are still prevalent in many organisations. A toxic work culture, unfortunately. Uh, and yes. sometimes leaders come in and they have to inherit these negative cultures that really undermine anything positive that they're trying to do so what's your advice to those people how, how can they how can they turn a toxic culture into a positive one and and what role do leaders need to play in really driving that cultural change
0: yes it's a great question especially with that inheritance of the culture um and you know a lot of we see it a lot. I mean, uh, you know, sadly we see the toxic culture a lot, but there's a lot of, we'd, we often do work with leaders or the exec teams around changing that, which it can be done. I think that's the first thing, it can absolutely be done. It does take time and it takes courage and it takes a lot of grit and resilience. So I think as long as leaders are walking in knowing that's part of the role, um, there's an incredible, I don't know, Andy, if you came across this, but there's an incredible people incredible piece of research done um, there was an interview on Brene Brown's podcast dare A lead um, from son and father combo Donald and Charles Sull it was an MIT Sloan report and it was all around um, how to fix a toxic culture and so like I highly highly recommend that report because it is full of incredible stats research and also some practical tips and one of the quotes that came out of it, or one of the sentiments that came out that I think is really worth sharing, is um, and and no surprise here, but when it comes to the toxic culture, is that leadership consistently emerged as the best predictor of toxic culture. So assuming then we're taking taking over into that culture where it's not our it's not our path or our doing, but we've got to do something about it it really is coming in i think the number one tip is to hold yourself accountable and hold the team accountable for that behavior we don't want to see continuing um i think there's it's really setting that uh, almost like a reset isn't it when um some of the practical ways i think is to sit down as a leadership team and define well what is the culture that we do want what do we currently have um and then what are those disconnects what are the gaps there so like practically and tangibly what do we need to work on um one of our one of our clients and i won't mention them because i don't want to throw them under a toxic bus but they they, because they're really doing some great things i think there was a little bit of uh disharmony in the organization rather than toxic but one of the things we saw the new ceo do is is came in And had those conversations with her exec, but then also put out um, a variety of different opportunities for the people to have a say and everyone in the organization at every level. So some of it was anonymous surveys, which has its good and its bad, uh, but really just to hear those voices. And Mm. then she also took out every single person in the organization for a one to one coffee and just wanted to listen and listen and listen. And I think the key difference, well, one, she invested all that time is that she actually started implementing changes because there's one thing to ask everyone for their opinion and there's another thing then to just go, okay, thanks. Oh, we won't do much with that. So I think that can then undermine the whole culture. Mm. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I think the, the fastest way to keep the toxicity um, running is to actually not, is to tolerate the behavior. What's the old expression about the the behavior we walk past and that we tolerate is the one we accept. So, you know, what message is it actually sending to people if we're not addressing behaviors in a curious way too. So it's not a come in and command and control, but it's, you know, help me understand and getting curious to seek to understand where where people deem that as acceptable behavior and, and how we can change it moving forward set some new standards
1: yeah absolutely and this is it's a it's a quote that i, I read recently you need to you, you you can't just see it on the walls you've got you've also got to see it in the halls as well so you've really got to yes
0: isn't leverage, that the truth <laughs> visibly yeah. see
1: the uh, the behaviors that you know you would um you're trying to uh deploy across the across the organization and the and the culture that you really want to, uh, to set because i think you know, there's there's another saying as well around the the, the fish um, rots from the head, and I think you know the mm-hmm. leadership plays such an important role in establishing um, the culture that's required. And and I think just we we've spoken about leaders setting that tone and setting that standard around what culture they'd like to drive. Do you think that there's a role as well for the employees mm-hmm. in also really underpinning underpinning that, or do you think it's just the role of leadership alone?
0: Oh, I absolutely believe to see it work and to change, it's it's everyone. Um, I think from a leadership perspective, it's appreciating the emotional, um, you know, often the grief curve, I think there's the change curve in organisational change as well, and the emotional curve that people will go through. So I think as a leader is accepting that people will possibly come in with scepticism, they may come in with uh, a lot of fear, uh, as possible distrust. And so if we can walk in as leaders, with the acceptance and knowledge that that could be the, uh, maybe the um, starting point with some of our teams is not to take that personally, I think it's then to start building trust with them so that then when we are making changes and we are bringing up um, new ways of doing things or giving feedback on on what's okay and what's not okay in our culture, that there's, that trust has been developed. And I think if I go back to that example where the CEO literally sat with everyone to have coffees, um, Mm. she wanted to know them, she wanted to know what was important to them as well well so then that trust is starting to be built so then when there are changes and and broader bigger changes there's trust in her so then it's a a dual responsibility for everyone to get on board I do um I do also feel like again you go back to that psychological safety depending on the experiences people have had maybe it hasn't been safe for them to actually speak what they what they feel and what they mean and what their opinions are because it's it's been um it's ended poorly in the past or it's had dire consequences for others and they've observed that so i think this must take time the trust first are you you know the um patrick lencioni five dysfunctions of a team do you know that pyramid or that model
1: yeah I've, i i can um, i can recall yeah i don't know off yeah. My
0: heart. <laughs> yeah well i i love it i i like i absolutely we base a lot of um work that we do on five dysfunctions of a team and that first layer is about trust the top Mm -hmm. is results so if you want the results to change we've got to look at that trust first the Mm -hmm. second one is conflict so that healthy conflict that we're not afraid to have the real conversations and i think so often we can go into that corporate nod where everyone's like yeah yeah that sounds great and then we leave the meeting or hang up the zoom call and go never going to happen you know and so there's so much um disharmony but then it's about commitment accountability and results but first and always i think is building genuine authentic vulnerability based trust
1: yeah excellent no, i love that and 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 you you've you've highlighted some references there for further information and um, so we will we'll include that in the in the notes for the podcast yeah for,
0: great great
1: to, to, to access so thank you for that that's great so More stats for you. Um, So, Employment employment Heroes Wellness at Work report stated that 53% of Australian workers were feeling burnt out and 52% rating their work-life balance as poor or average and 56% of workers felt stressed about money. Um, So employees bring all this stress into their workplace culture every day. And according to the same report, only 50% works for companies that were very supportive of their mental health. So uh, what key initiatives can leaders implement to help their employees combat fatigue and also improve their mental health?
0: Yeah, those uh, those stats, if you slow down and really take those in, they're very confronting and alarming, aren't they? They're, they're frightening yeah. and, um, and interesting, I think even right now, With the economic conversation going around as well like how how that might impact these stats in this moment um i find this uh a really interesting topic and um something i'm extremely passionate about the first first thing i would say as a solution is actually having some literacy and awareness around what is mental health um one of the, you know, as an interesting interesting conversation I had with my dad and my dad's, you know, close to 70 now, he's a, a kind hearted, wonderful human being. Also though, is, you know, generationally has grown up in an environment where it's just a bit of like, well, toughen up, you know, we, you'll be right. Um, and, and definitely not coming from a bad place, but that's just the environment many people Mm. in the current workplace as well have been brought up in. And I remember speaking to him once around, um, a, a close friend of ours had disclosed that they were suffering from depression and suicide ideation. It was very, very confronting and upsetting. And his immediate reaction was, you know, well, what's he got to be sad about? Like it was, it was not a great reaction. And I looked at him and said, you know what, that's why people uh, in this state where they're not sharing because of the reaction you've just had. And he was quite confronted and it was quite an intense conversation. And within the next month, he actually went and signed himself up to do the mental health first aid accreditation because he said, I don't know enough about this. And two other people that he knew in his um, soccer community had actually um died by suicide within the the last few months as well so it was it was a real life example where there's a lack of understanding and awareness but definitely not a lack of humanity just a lack of understanding Um, and so that got me curious and i went and did the mental health first aid as well and actually now it's part of one of the offerings we offer at, at luminate because i just think it's something that we can talk about but unless we actually know well what are the definitions what if if somebody fell over on the road right now in front of you and you could see they were bleeding and they're in a lot of trouble um most of us would know to run over and support call triple o get them the support that they need and then the paramedics the experts would come in and you know take over When it comes to mental health i I just don't think we've got that awareness of what to do what to say we don't have to be the paramedics we're not the paramedics we're not the psychologists or the counselors but how do we have the right conversations in the workplace and in our lives to get people the help or the support that they may need and i so for me the first step actually actually is around that awareness and whether it's mental health first aid or something similar um it's quite relevant because only this week we're actually running a course with some um, beautiful clients of ours and the facilitator, he's an accredited instructor and, and he called me and said, oh, we've got some old world perspectives happening right now. And it was really challenging the group. Um, and as challenging as that may be for him as a facilitator, I said, you know, this is why we do this. Because mm. when we're talking about, you know, if somebody says they've got mental health challenges in the workplace, or mental health challenges when you're at work, how do you respond? Do you give them time off? Um, you know, what's your leave policy like? Are you calling it sick leave or is it personal leave and, and people, are we treating health as health or are we, are we defining it as physical and mental health? Because I think one of the first things we want to talk about is health is health and we need to give people the space and the support to have the time they need so that we're avoiding burnout, that we're, we're treating any challenge that we've got the right way. Um, so there's a bit of depth, I think in all of that and just the importance of even the language that we use, um, the other question I would ask leaders is, when was the last time you spoke about mental health? Well, one, do you? And um, how vulnerable are you? How an appropriate vulnerability, of course, but how open are you? How much do you express? How much do you share? How much do you ask people how they're going? Because if those stats you know, are true, which I believe, they, they, I believe them to be, then half of our workplace is suffering in some way or another. How are we supporting them, um, to get the support they need? You know, do you have an employee assistance program? Uh, are you mindful of the hours people are working and the demands we're putting on people while still getting our, um, organizational outcomes, you know, just being aware of individual's needs and their situations as well.
1: Mm. And and so your training on mental health, does it, I guess. You know, it's designed to make the invisible visible. Is that right? Yes, correct, so, correct. Spotting correct. the signs. Like, have you got any? Could you provide some sort of key examples of how you can actually turn the invisible into the visible to help some of the listeners identify? You know, have um, early early sign, spot those early signs of any mental health challenges with their uh, with their employees.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I suppose like this definitely is not a um, like full disclaimer, just ideas here rather than um, no, but Sheree said. Uh, So yeah, absolutely. I think it's actually paying attention. Um, Mm. So what I mean by that is if you then see a change in someone's behaviour, so if you usually see someone really calm, and that's their normal persona, um, and then all of a sudden, they're irritable, or something changes, or someone who might be attending more social events starts not attending. Someone's pattern um, may change in they start turning up late or they're more tired than they usually seem to be. So it's not always huge, obvious things, but it's actually paying attention to that and mm. actually asking, you know, I think we see the are you okay all the time, but it genuinely is asking someone, I've noticed this behavior, is everything okay with you? Um, a question that we were told about in the mental health first aid and i think is incredible and um i think it takes courage to ask and this is why maybe people don't always do it because they don't know what to say next but he's actually saying how's your mental health right now and then stopping and just allowing someone to answer there are so many support lines and different places people can go if they are unsure or how they're feeling um so there's not a we don't have to actually then solve the problem for them but help them find the support um so it's really that assisting and then listening giving support and encouraging and encouraging professional support because sometimes it's like what do you need maybe what they need is just the afternoon off or to come in a bit later tomorrow because they just need to you know some flexibility in their routine or whatever it may be Um, Mm. but sometimes it's i need to go and speak to i need to go and speak to someone professionally and i think allowing um the opportunity Mm. for that to occur Mm. does that sound practical enough i i think um i'm not sure if i've nailed that one for you or if that's useful
1: i think it's useful absolutely and it's a complex topic it's it's hard to go too Mm. deep in the time that we've got but it's really helpful for listeners just to Just to uh to at least identify some early signs of um of where there might be some challenges with their employees because you know it's not always obvious is it it's it's a bit it's it's not really that clear so um yeah
0: no it's not and i think as well as it's not actually always obvious to the individual. They don't actually always know what it is they're experiencing either, um, mm. which may sound a bit funny, but if we don't know how to um, put language around it, uh, that's, yeah, it's really important that mm. yeah, we give people space and time to even reflect on how they're feeling themselves. I th- um, and I guess going to that, you know, if we think yeah. about some different things from say mental health first aid, but in a workplace that people could put in straight away, um, some of i guess some ideas even from clients that we work with and ideas that they've had um and that we see them do is you know we've got a couple of people that have wellness areas in their workplace it really depends on your physical um workplace uh but wellness areas they give access to apps like calm or um Mm. uh, the healthy minds apps and things like that also, I think some teams are just incorporating more movement because I think when it comes to mental health, there's some key things here around nutrition, movement, um, social connections, sleep. So if if there's some key contributors, of course they don't eliminate all mental health, but they can absolutely ha- assist. Um, so we've got so many, you hear so many teams go, we do walking meetings or we have a meeting outside when the weather allows, um, we have, um, workshops where people, we do like goal setting and wellness wheels. So similar to the concept of this podcast based on the different, um, wellness, you know, we've got, we've got a little wellness wheel quiz people can do for themselves just to check in on what's working and where needs more, more energy. Um, and I'd say as well, I think then just considering flexible work hours, um, flexibility of where people work as well, which, which is very commonplace now, which is really important.
1: That's great. And that leads me on to my next question actually, because I think, you know, on-site working arrangements, uh, between sort of hybrid remote work in the office, it's all been shifting around in recent years and arguably could be, um, exacerbating some of the mental health challenges that we've just <laughs> spoken about. Um, you know, I think it also, it really represents, uh, or it presents a new challenge, if you like, for leaders to, to ensure that their people feel connected to their company's culture. And, and there was a survey done in America from Gallup. It, it found that 23% of hybrid workers felt more connected to their company's culture when leaders focused on culture in hybrid models than 20% of employees overall. So, you know, from, from your perspective, Sheree, how can leaders really help employees feel connected to their culture, regardless of their location?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's actually one that we the tip is that we need to ask ourselves that question within the organisation, because, you know, what are we in 2023 now? So I'd say 2020, 21 for sure, and 22 to an extent. but in 2020 and 21, we were absolutely all in survival mode and uncharted territory. So we know that, and, and we just did what we needed to do to get through. Um, so now that things are, you know, stabilizing somewhat, I think it's an opportunity to ask ourselves, well, what future do we want for our culture and how does that work with the hybrid model? Um, I'm literally working with an exec team next week. A a business we've been working with for maybe about 18 months now, and the leader said you know what our meetings is a virtual meeting it's every fortnight i just don't think they're getting what they need out of them and so it's literally a reset session so it seems very simple but we we put out a survey to the team asking them what's working what's not what's missing what do they need and then we're going to redesign it from here so it's it's simple uh, but it's literally just asking the question and then redesigning what works i think that when we're talking about um i was reading up Harvard Business Review on this. And one of the quotes or one of the phrases was make workplace connection a ritual. So when we talk about culture, a big part of culture is feeling connected as human beings. Um, And particularly if we think about extrovert or introvert personality, particularly the extroverted personalities like we need that um we need to give them that stimulation of the the human connection uh, but also there's so many stats with mental health as we said um and isolation and loneliness so it has to be a ritual that we've considered into a calendar if you like and intentionally because there's none of that water cooler in the hallway in the lift chat any as much uh depending yeah. on how your setup is um, one of my teammates who's just actually started with us, she was working in another organization that were based in Melbourne and she was here in Brisbane. And she said, you know, yes, they had scheduled things on the calendar, but literally it felt like unless somebody connected with you or reached out, um, you had to just wait to the moment in your calendar to, to connect. And I think that's a missed opportunity where we're not actually allowing just um a more free flow. We've gotten so structured in how everything needs to be rather than just actually picking up the phone and checking in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I there, feel there is, like
1: there is like, uh, just, you know, back in the day, a, a conversation in the hall now, now that's become a, a half an hour scheduled meeting and outlook on teams, isn't it? It just needs to yes. really, just having those conversations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where we get really efficient rather than effective sometimes, because we're like, let's just get in, get the meeting done. I've got meeting fatigue. There's no gaps in between. So when we get on, we, we get on the screen and we just get into business straight away, or whatever the topic is, um, what I'd propose or what I'd suggest is that we need to have a look at, well, how are we creating connection? And that connection is either to the company culture, it's to the team, it's to the customer, um, and that can be done. And I think these tips are practical face-to-face and remotely, but, even more important remotely some of the thoughts i have and some of the little habits that we have is you know just even opening a meeting and i don't mean a 10 minute catch up but you know if you've got a team meeting a Mm -hmm. weekly meeting you're opening that meeting maybe with asking around what are you grateful for so it brings out things that are personal but also positive psychology Uh, you might bring up a meeting you know with most companies got their core values so you might say how have you lived into the core values this week um so you're linking to culture also listening to one another another level you could take it which would kind of force people to pay attention to others which is important for that connection is how have you seen someone else live the values this week so they're Mm -hmm. really simple and maybe it's maybe it's pulling out um I'm a big fan of finding those little cards from Kiki K, or you can just do online ones for free, you know, just little questions that aren't work related, but it's absolutely helping our work because it's building personal connection, which builds trust, which then, you know, flows onto everything else we've spoken about and without implementing that by design, it doesn't usually happen by default.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So look, unfortunately, uh, we've, um, we've run out of time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um we like talk talk about
0: this for days. I think exactly.
1: I've, I've been saying that to, to the others as part of this podcast series, it's just one of those things you could talk about for, for days and days and days. Um, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately we have to, we have to wrap it up there, but I really want to thank you, Sheree, for, uh, taking the time to join us today, to provide those perspectives on this really important Dimension of Organisational Health. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast, Cherie.
0: Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Andy, and look forward to hearing all the conversations um, from your other guests as well.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Once again, thank you, Cherie, for your insightful perspectives on the relational dimension of organisational health. Luminate Leadership will be hosting their annual Ignite Women in Leadership Conference in Brisbane on the 23rd of August. Tickets are available from their website, www.luminateleadership.com.au That's www.luminateleadership.com.au. We hope you enjoyed listening to Cherie today and found her insights and approaches valuable. As always, the transcripts of today's episode is available to download from our website, www.corbettprice.com.au forward slash podcast. That's www.corbettprice.com.au forward slash podcast. In our next episode, we will be talking with Pierre Andrews about our sixth dimension purpose and leadership.